Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes special guest Toussaint Bailey, founder of the Just Listening Project, which endeavors to heal racism by feeling into the personal experiences of unheard black colleagues and friends. As Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. So we invite you just to listen today, because when we listen, we can know better. And when we know better, we can do better. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle and 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Uh, and you can also find out more about me and connect with me through my, my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. Um, so, Vinny, how are things in Seattle? Uh, doing pretty good. We are trying to cool down a little bit. We've had a wonderful week of weather and hot, hot, hot. Gotta love it. Really? Oh, yeah. You missed out on this whole week, girl. <laughs> oh, no. I will take missing out on weeks of heat wherever it is. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know that's why I live on the West Coast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. I just couldn't even. Uh, the the dry heat is one thing that for like no way. But anyways, I'm from Alaska, so I have nothing really more to say than like I love snow, <laughs> and so it's uh, <laughs> on a whole different uh, spectrum there. But everything's good for me here. I hope you and Chase are doing well. And, and uh, Action Jackson, we haven't brought him up for a conversation piece for a minute, but I hope he's doing okay yeah. in his bowls. Yeah, yeah. For anyone out there listening who does not know who Action Jackson is, he is one of our kitty cats, uh, and he really likes a good photo shoot, knows how to pose, so he has a little presence on social media, so Benny knows him from there. Yeah, I really still, I think you should do the coffee table book of, like, him and all of his, like, you know, poses. I know. I am just, I'm like, oh God, are we those people? Like we, we don't have children. And, um, so the fur babies are our children and, oh my gosh. I mean, it would be a disaster looking at how our animals behave. Like if these were children, this would not be so good, but for the animals, I don't think so. I think they're very well matured, uh, individuals, I should say. (laughs) So I think they'll be doing okay. Oh, Benny, you have not lived in our house. Okay, anyway, we'll just leave it at that. But I'm glad you enjoy the pictures that show that one shining moment where everyone's on good behavior and looking cute. I think they're I guess amazing. that's what social media is about. Right? Totally. <laughs> totally. Anyway, good to hear your voice, Benny. Looking forward to First Friday with Alessandra next week so we can catch up with you on all kinds of other things. Oh, yeah. We're ready. We'll be ready. Um, <laughs> well, so I'm really excited on our show today. This has been in the works for a little while. Um, so our guest today is Toussaint Bailey. He is the CEO of Inso Wealth Management, where he focuses on nurturing a community and building out infrastructure that empowers its people to simultaneously live their best lives and do their best work for clients. He's an avid student of the science of well-being and emotional health, and much of Toussaint's work is aimed at preserving and enhancing the firm's unique culture. He also serves on the board of directors for Seeds of Awareness, a mindfulness-based counseling and mentorship organization that seeks to transform schools and communities by cultivating empathy, connection, and support. 
Most recently, he launched the Just Listen Project, which endeavors to heal racism by feeling into the personal experiences of unheard black colleagues and friends. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today is the Just Listen Project. Um, just so you can uh, uh, already go to the website and check things out either while we're on the show or when we're on a break. The website to go to is thejustlistenproject.com, and there's a wonderful 10-minute um, or so video on the homepage there that gives you pretty much the entire overview of what this is all about, and you can get on the mailing list there. Um, I also encourage you to subscribe to the YouTube, cha YouTube channel. Um, it is listed as the Just Listening Project on YouTube, and of course, hashtag Just Listen. Uh, it's a social media campaign. All of this... Um, Coming, coming about um, because I, in as you all know, on Sunny in Seattle, we've had several shows in um, the past several months dedicated um, toward the fight for racial justice and becoming anti-racist. Um, and we're currently working through me and white supremacy and the Soul Digger Book Club right now. And so this is, I've been turning my attention uh, to listening. And a friend of mine saw a post on social media where I said, I'm just listening. And she said, oh my gosh, you've got to meet my friend Toussaint Bailey. He just started a project called the Just Listen Project. Um, and so reached out and we were able to connect. And so here we have Toussaint today to tell us about this um, wonderful project that he started and some of his own story and experiences that inspired this project. So Toussaint, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Oh, Sonny, I so appreciate you having me. Um, I'm pleased with that intro. I'm thankful for all the, the work that you're doing to, to fight racial injustice and heal racism and, and excited to share here. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, this is, I, I want to be very clear. I have not been doing this work or uh, involved in any deep capacity. Um, and that is something that I wish to change. And part of changing that has been um, to listen to the stories of Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, and so I was very, very moved by your initial video and, of course, watched the, the first released video um, where your first real conversation was with um, Doug Lurch, which we'll talk more about. Um, but I, I have to say, in learning a little bit more about your background, uh, before we dive in, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your story, uh, because I was so tickled to learn you're a recovering attorney as, as well. It sounds like your parents um, were from, at some point, they were living in Shreveport, which I grew up in Tyler, Texas. So um, we have kind of that East Texas uh, root connection there. And, or, uh, I mean, um, you know that area, like that, that Texarkana area, right, where that border area is. And so I'd, I'd love to just hear a little bit more, um, uh, you know, about you, um, why you left the practice of law, how you joined in so wealth. And, and also, sorry, I'm stacking so many questions, but before I forget, get... Um, your name, Toussaint, does that mean All Saints? It, it does. It does. Uh, but I, I'm named after Toussaint Louverture, the uh, Haitian revolutionary who uh, liberated the slaves of, of Haiti and was Haiti's first president, um, defeated Napoleon there. So my parents love the history of that name. Uh, I'm not Haitian. Um, and the name's not from Louisiana. So I have all kinds of, like, false <laughs> positives about my name. They just love the history of the name. But yes, it does mean all saints. 
Oh, yeah. It's such a cool name. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And, and also, I think we probably speak very much the same language around. You'd said that you're a big student of personal transformation, self-actualization, and, and your library is full of self-help books. So you've got to throw in there some of the like the, the sources that you love the most or the authors that you love the most around this so we can compare, <laughs> see who some of our favorites oh, are. I, I have a captive audience other than the people who I work with are my family <laughs> Is so sick of hearing me talk about my book. This is sweet. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share, uh, and, and I've, I've gotten used to in, in very recent uh, weeks and months here uh, telling my story, so I'm happy to do that. But before that, I, I, I would love to um, actually uh, address what, what you said at the top, which is like you're not an expert in this area, and, and you know, you're kind of just getting into this work. And I will say, me too. Um, and, and that's not something that I say as a disclaimer. I, I'm, I'm wearing that with pride these days. Um, I feel like at, at, at this moment, um, the reason why this response to injustice and inequity feels different is that there are new voices, um, new people who are coming into this issue, facing this issue for the first time. I, I've been calling them the quietly bothered. Um, and I don't think that's exclusive to any race or, or any culture. I think there's a ton of, of the quietly bothered who, who were out there who just sort of couldn't take it anymore in this moment. I'm among them, um, and what I've, what I've been trying to do with the Just Listen Project and, and, and with the issue of racism in general is sort of model this meta-vulnerability, so not only the vulnerability in, in sharing my personal stories around racism and how I'm affected by race, but also the vulnerability in stepping into this topic, knowing that I'm doing it imperfectly. Um, and it, you've given me an hour here, so I'm probably going to mess up something within that hour and kind of sitting with that and being comfortable with that. You and me so, both. <laughs> um, yeah, the first piece of my story is I, I am not an expert. I, I have so much respect for people who have made this their life's work and who have done a, a ton of work to get us where we are. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of picking up the baton and, and, and stumbling with it in whatever imperfect way I can toward progress. So that's, that, that is, that's important for me to address up front. Um, yeah, uh, so, so my, my, my story, I, I'm, uh, you know, a, a kid who, who grew up, you know, in several different communities in, in, in Southern California. Uh, parents migrated to L.A. Uh, from Louisiana, so my mom was from Mansfield, just out, outside of Shreveport, and my dad was from Shreveport, and both separately, not knowing each other, migrated. My mom landed in Watts, and my dad landed in South Central Los Angeles, now South L.A., um, and, and they both, not knowing each other, kind of found one another at, at, at UCLA in the late 60s uh, during the height of a different civil rights movement. Um, and, and both uh, became sort of uh, public servants. My, my dad has been a junior high school teacher uh, for the last several years, and before that he, he taught uh, severely emotionally and mentally uh, challenged uh, children. And before that he worked at a mental health hospital. Um, and my mom, uh, who passed away in 2017, was uh, the director of a homeless support services project, and prior to that, she did some drug intervention work and, and uh, ran the Inland AIDS Project um, down in the Inland Empire. So that's just, none of that um, really talked about much in our house. That's just sort of who my parents are. And I, uh, so, so I, I wasn't pushed in the direction of, of, of social service, and, and, but that's what I saw 
Um, so I went off to school, and, and for, for me, I've always um, been sort of inclined toward numbers and, and studied finance when I, when I was in college and then uh, graduated during the dot-com bubble and, and, and also did a I did an internship at a community development bank uh, late, late in college as part of a, a senior thesis and, and realized the need for sort of economic investment in, in underrepresented communities and also the need for legal support in those communities. So I went off to, to law school to do that, got to law school and realized that being a transactional attorney was not in the cards for me. <laughs> I, I, I worked at um, an organization called LAFLA in their community development uh, department after my first uh, after my first uh, year in, in law school and was just uh, like loved the work, loved the idea of what I was doing, but I was bored to tears in transactional law. So somehow I took an, a 12-year detour and ended up in litigation for cities and local government agencies. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad I did. That It, it really um, taught me a lot about communication, the power of story. I worked with so many great colleagues and made so many great friends there. Um, uh, did that in LA, uh, came up to San Francisco to, to run a litigation department of the same firm called Richards Watson Grishana up here in San Francisco um, and, and enjoyed it while I enjoyed it, but I just got to a point where it, it no longer served me to be doing litigation. I, um, I, I had this nagging feeling that I wanted to build something and I, I shared that with one of my partners uh, um, in the office with me. I had, this, uh, I had this feeling that I wanted to create um, rather than kind of jump in. I, I, I enjoy problem solving, and most of my legal career was around problem solving, but I, I just, that my energy didn't match that anymore. So, so one night, I think it was in, in early 2016, um, I was waiting for one of my partners to send me something at midnight on a case that we were working on that I had to get turned around the next day, and I was laying in bed, and I told my wife, uh, I'm not inspired enough to be working like this. Um, and she said, put a pin in that, and we'll talk about that in the morning, uh, and, and we did, and that sort of started the process of me um, exploring what else there was, and, and along that journey, I, I got deeper into my, my mindfulness uh, journey. I went to uh, a, a, pro, a program, a public program called Search Inside Yourself, where they teach some of the science behind uh, mindfulness. They also teach some of the leadership capacities that can be built on top of mindfulness, self-awareness, and emotional intelligence. And I really got into that um, and, and started to uh, look at making a, a, a transition toward this wealth management space, uh, again, through uh, some sort of unintentional channels. So my, my best friend of, of about 20 years and, and brother-in-law uh, had left a, a larger brokerage to start his own firm back in 2014, and he was having sort of the same um, like background dissatisfaction with where he was that I was. His because he was working alone and somewhat successful, uh, but but really is a people person um, and wanted to connect with others. Um, and and so he he reached out to me about kind of helping him structure that uh, a firm that would have several people involved uh, with my lawyer brain. We talked about some of the attributes of that firm, um, and, and now it's, it's kind of built around um, some values that, that I have, which we have captured in what's called the waterfall, and I'm ha happy to talk a little bit about that. But we talked about all sorts of this, this vision for what's now become our firm, Enzo Wealth. Um, and, we, and, and, you know, the, the whole idea was to empower people to kind of create what we call a capitalist co-op, 
Um, so everyone would, would own the firm, everyone would walk around like owners of the firm, and we would come to the firm for, uh, for a shared set of values. Uh, and, and that set of values, it, um, uh, it's called the waterfall because it starts at the top and then sort of trickles down into these, in, in, into these values that should be served by that first value. So we believe um, in loving and trusting relationships above all. We believe that's what we're seeking above all. That's what we come to work for. That's what we believe um, is foundational to fulfillment. Um, and then after that, we believe those loving and trusting relationships will help us towards self-actualization. And, and we have that kind of captured in two big buckets of self-awareness and self-mastery. So you have that love and trust. It sort of gives you um, a place to have the, the, the self-compassion and the courage to, to self-actualize. Um, we believe that once we get, get to that self-actualization step, there's this natural inclination toward co-creation and, and collective impact, so mastering self and then mastering working together. And then out of all that, we, we, we are a, a, a consciously capitalist organization, so we believe in personal gain, but we believe if you go through those steps in that order, um, your personal gain is, is gotten with more gratitude and held in a more fulfilling way than if you started at the bottom seeking personal gain and then let all those other things sort of take shape. So that, that's, that's the firm that we built. Those are the values that our firm's built on, and, and, and that kind of belief in loving and trusting relationships um, has informed a lot of, of why I think the Just Listen Project um, has something to say about progress on racism and, and that level of human connection um, is is necessary and essential to to solving big problems like racism. So that that's how I ended up at Enzo Wells. Um, and and then like I'm I'm a big believer now in leveraging the existing trust and and love that we have to combat some of the the bigger societal ills. So um, you know I I was at work when um, when I watched. Uh, something in me uh, compelled me to watch um, George Floyd's murder. I've, I've not had the, the stomach to watch most videos of, of black men and women or any men and women being killed. It's, I don't even like horror movies. Uh, but for some reason, something compelled me to watch that. And, and just prior to that, I'd watched the, the Christian Cooper, Amy Cooper incident. And I, I literally just came to a place that it, it was in the afternoon that I, I couldn't continue working. So I, 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 I just about kind of packed up and left, um, like numb, deflated, um, really kind of emotionally challenged at work. But before I did, I, I did something that's super uncharacteristic, which, which is went on, uh, went on Facebook and, and wrote a post about um, what I had just seen and how, how dejected it made me feel and how physically sick I was and it needed to, to go home and fortunately had the latitude to do that. Um, and then I posted that on Facebook and then I went to the other kind of forum that I have, which I never would, I don't know what came over me, but, but LinkedIn and, and posted this in a professional setting. And then I dashed out of my office um, and went home that night and kind of didn't talk about it other than mentioning it to my wife and, and uh, you know, played with my kids and then showed up at, at work the next week. And first of all, there was this, this amazing response to that video. Uh, but but early, early the next week, we also had our, our monthly all-hands meeting. Um, and we usually do this one-word check-in. And, like, 
everything in me was resisting uh, talking about this issue, even though I felt like, you know, I, I was in a safe space. Like we 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 aren't like most like many companies where you know we we bring part of ourselves to work. We typically bring our whole selves to work, but for some reason, this huge part of me, which is my blackness and 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 this huge part of my life, which is racism, I just I still didn't feel comfortable bringing to a meeting that I was leading and trying to create a safe space. But I, I struggled through that, and and so we were going around and 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 doing. Actually, we didn't go around yet. We were about to do our check in, and and I don't like to be the first one to speak when I'm inviting people to check in. But nobody said anything. Everybody, I think, was still sitting with this and. You know, it's a predominantly white firm. Uh, I, I think nobody really knew how to tiptoe into the fact that they were sitting with this. So e- even though I was affected, I was also like kind of called on to lead us into this conversation. And so, like, a shaky voiced and, and nervous and kind of uh, on the phone, not wanting to to say or do anything, I, I said the word distracted. And then, like, just that little that little piercing of of the fear that was was sitting over me let me continue talking. So we, I started to talk about how distracted I was and how difficult it was to work and how I rushed out of the office um, that that uh, late that week before, literally like lump in throat, um, holding back tears, and then and then cried as I was walking out. Um, and, and then, like, there was just this release of voices and support and a clarity that everyone else was on the same page as me as I was talking and people chimed in and like that they were so um, supportive of of me personal I'm like getting choked up even talking about it right now of, of me personally and and like so interested in how this affected me that like I was I was like encouraged by the ability to have this conversation about this topic at work that I never, I would never in a million years, I would have talked about before and never had talked about before. Um, so there was, there was that, this little glimmer of hope. And this was before we, we knew that, that this, this was something, that there were more voices being added to this conversation than, than ever before. So this was before we knew how sustained the protests were going to be. Um, it was just so this, my first glimpse that this time was different. And then I had a colleague call me afterwards, and, and he was in tears about not going to uh, one of the early protests that was in his town, and we talked through that, and I shared with him what I was sharing with my other uh, white friends who had reached out to me wondering what to do. And it was just this whole idea behind um, – trying to connect with racism on a human level and trying to increase capacity for empathy. So at, at, when I was first suggesting it, it was sort of one-sided, saying, you know, but if you want to do anything, uh, feel first, like, was my, was my thinking. Like, I, I just, for me, the most satisfying thing would be your empathy before your action. So that would be, you know, that would be calling a friend um, and, and humanizing uh, uh, that calling a black friend and, and humanizing that, that, that black friend by having uh, a conversation that, that reconnects you if you haven't been connected in a long time or that keeps you connected and, and really drives the, the human portion of the conversation a little deeper. And then getting personal about 
racism and not not about the issues of racism and not the responses that you should have to institutions or systemic racism, but asking that person about a past story of racism and then dropping into what that feels like. Not not suffocating that person with with your guilt, not not pitying that person, but just literally just listening. And I think I, I use that word, the, that phrase several times, but just listening with the intent of feeling and, and kind of getting into the nuanced feeling. So ask them about the past and then ask them about the present of race and racism. So ask them about the ongoing burden, ask them about how it feels to show up at work um, and how, how race relates to that. Ask them a story about that and, 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 and drop into that. Try to feel that. Like I, I think, like I, I, I reject the notion that like you just wouldn't understand um, how I feel about this. Yeah, no, yeah, sure, you wouldn't. But like that doesn't mean there's not value in seeking to understand the feeling, not not the concept, but the feeling. And so that that was my suggestion to Drew, and I tried to send him along his way, <laughs> but but he turned a set of questions to me. <laughs> He's like I. I don't have, like, honestly, I don't have, he vulnerably said, I don't have many black friends. Could you tell me a story? And I literally was, shoot, like, ah. Like, I, 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 wasn't, I, I wasn't ready for, to, for that level of vulnerability, but we had this, we, we had this, um, we had trust deposits in, in, our, in our relationship bank account. So it was mostly related to work, but, but like I said, we get pretty vulnerable at work, and we have, and, and so... Like we started with this um, this foundation of trust, and I think Drew knows my heart. I know um, what Drew's heart is toward this issue, um, and and I know what his heart is toward me. So I dove in, and I I vulnerably shared with him. Um, you know, we we skipped the humanizing part because I think we were we were there. He was crying. I was, he made me cry. <laughs> so we were already at the humanizing <laughs> part. Um, and, and, and then I, I, t- I talked to him about, you know, a couple of past incidents. Like I went through my, I told, I, I told him like every, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to Doug, like just about every black person, you know, has a portfolio of past racism, uh, experiences that they can scroll through. And, and so I, I went through one that came up, um, a, around high school and, and I can share that with you. And then I went through kind of what it feels like. And, and I, so I was doing that and my idea was to do that to help white people, Feel and, and to help them have a more um, informed and, and like rich uh, form of allyship and advocacy, uh, but it was healing on my end um, to first go through the exercise of removing the armor around my racial trauma and and sharing that vulnerably, like like letting pain show up as pain rather than having pain show up as anger or pain show up as, as disengagement, which I think um, has been my MO around racism, or letting the shame of talking about my blackness and, and racism, like mute my voice on the topic of racism. So like there was some liberation and there was some healing that happened on my end that was totally like an unanticipated byproduct of, of, of vulnerably engaging in this conversation. And, and from that, I knew the value of having these conversations, so I was more adamant with with friends and family, um, particularly white friends and white family, uh, that that like these are these are in my mind a, a, a really important and valuable 
um, an under-respected lane of advo advocacy. Um, I don't think everyone's um, in, a, in a place, so you may reach out to your black friend and they may not be ready for this conversation. They may be in a, in a place where their, their trauma still shows up as, as hurt and anger and distrust. Um, but there's, there's a lot of us who are ready to have this conversation, particularly when it's personalized. So I thought that um, to myself, and then Drew shared with me um, a video um, of, of, uh, that evening after ha us having talked about uncomfortable conversations with a black man, um, and that was Emmanuel Acho talking straight at the camera, um, first just to the camera, and, and now he has several conversations, which I would recommend to anyone, uh, where he's just unpacking these issues of racism in a very um, uh, productive and, and uniting uh, tone and, and manner. And, and for me, that just let me know that like, there was there was this need um, to, to let my voice be felt on this. Um, and, and particularly for me, like knowing, I don't know whether it was my experience as a lawyer or, or whether it's just um, my, my learning in business and some of the people who, I, who I've kind of studied um, from a marketing perspective even, but just this power of story and, and needing to have um, these black stories um, told but particularly to, to white um, and, and other non-black audiences, like just the, the bilateral healing that, that I experienced from, from my conversation with Drew and now subsequent conversations was something that I didn't want to keep to myself and didn't even want to keep to my inner circle. So I started, I, I started this project having no idea where it was going to go and, no, I, and still not, not necessarily knowing where it's going to end up, but I now know that it, it resonates. And, and, and I do know that my hunch that people were ready for this conversation and that there's a whole lot more of us who care deeply, um, and it, it, some still quietly bothered, some now beyond quietly bothered, but uncomfortable about how to kind of tiptoe into this issue. I just know there's, there's, a, there's a lot of us, and, and we don't get the attention we deserve because people at the polls, um, you know, on one side of the issue um, digging their heels in or on another side of the issue digging their heels in are a lot um, sexier to, to advertise uh, and, and highlight on social media and in the media, um, the media media. And, and, and their voices are, are kind of easier to, to feel, and, and the, the softness and, and the heart work um, just doesn't, hasn't, at least up until this moment, um, gotten the same traction and level of attention. But I'm, I'm like even firmer in my belief that people are, are ready for that kind of heart conversation and, and, and generally this, this heart work toward uh, racial healing rather than just uh, racism uh, fighting in, in the traditional sense of the word. So that's a whole lot of backstory, but that's how, that's how I ended up at this, at this moment. Um, yeah. And, and I, oh, actually, I would, be, I would be remiss if I didn't add that, um, like, I have, so, so the reason why I, I, I believe that racism is a, an absolutely a solvable problem is I'm, I'm bullish on on humanity and the humanity in people and, and human ability and our creativity and our ability to innovate. And a lot of my hope now in this moment comes from the fact that I'm a father and I have, you know, I have uh, three young girls, one who turns uh, five uh, in, in, a, in about a month. And, and I have two, two and a half year old twins who will be three um, in, in November. And to me, 
seeing what they are at their essence lets me know what we all can be. So, so like my, my belief in humanity, my, my relationship with my wife, um, who is white and, and who is, and, and like being a black man from a black community married to a white woman is also um, like puts you in a vulnerable place when you're talking about racism. Like that, there's all these sort of boxes that different people want you to check before you step into this issue. And one of the things that I've, I've struggled with, you know, at, at, at work many times I'm not white enough but you know, as, as I continue to make my way deeper into um, you know uh, a, a largely white professional world, like in, in your community, you can start questioning whether you're black enough. Particularly married to a white woman, working at a predominantly white company in a predominantly white industry, so like there's this there's this racial struggle and and all these things that could get in the way of one stepping into this question, and not not just one theoretical, but have gotten in the way of me stepping into this issue, stepping into these questions. Um, but but my my wife and my children and what they've been sort of have been an inspiration as to what's possible around this issue. So, um, yeah, that, that's my whole story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I too thought I was just thinking if it's okay with you and if it's okay with Benny, I'd like to forego our break just so that we can continue the conversation. <laughs> I mean, if you need a break, if I, if anybody needs a break, let I, me know. I, but I was going to suggest we forego it this time around. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need a break. I, I'm, I'm just, okay. Yeah. We're just talking. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I, I, I Number one, thank you. And that is um, such a beautiful synopsis of how we landed here and with you, uh, with the Just Listen project. Um, I just want to reiterate for folks out there um, that the steps that, that Toussaint suggests um, in terms of starting these conversations, of course, Toussaint and the folks that he is speaking with will be continuing this. Um, and you can see it on YouTube as they post more videos um, but in terms of having these conversations yourself, this this human to human human connection, seeing the humanness in one another, um, the the steps that are suggested are number one, just listen to the humanness and connecting on a human level, asking number two about a past act of overt racism, number three, asking about a present burden of racism, and then number four, taking that information and sharing it with other people. Um, so that we can spread the ripple effects of the humanness um, and hopefully bring more hearts online um, to this work. Um, I have so many questions to thought about so many of the things you said, and I'm just deciding. I felt like was, so I, this is all new for me, right? I'm not used to yeah. um, talking about myself this much. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, half of me is talking. Half of me is giggling at the fact that I'm talking about <laughs> myself that much. <laughs> so, so just know, uh, please shoot with any questions. <laughs> but okay. I, I'm open to answering. But I'm 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 laughing at myself for talking about myself. That no, much. I think it's awesome. And I have to say, from checking from look, looking at you know your social media feed, and seeing how things change dramatically, that your feed from before before that post that you made around the feelings that came up when you watched uh, the Christian Cooper uh, video of him getting harassed while bird watching and you watched the murder of George Floyd in this post, everything shifted, it, it looks like. Um, and, and I'm curious from where you sit, I, from watching the videos, 
the word boldness has come up quite a bit. I know you've learned a lot from your four-year-old about boldness. I know you're reconnecting with your own boldness that perhaps you took or suppressed to, to make people more comfortable. Um, but looking at how your social media feed changed, looking at how you speak about this now, can you speak a little bit about that, what shifted for you when you started to share this courageously in a public setting? Yeah, that's, uh, I was, I, I feel like I was liberated. I, I, I feel yeah. so. Um, one of the things that I, I've shared when I talk about, um, the present burden of racism is this, is this training, um, that, that becomes internalized to be non-threatening. Um, and, and so like, as, as a black man, I walk around and show up um, in, in white settings in, in many respects as, as a threat. Like I can, you know, I'm uh, self-aware and people-aware enough to feel the purse clutching, to feel mm. the do- elevator door shutting, to, you know, so I, I know that um, I, I I know that my presence at at conferences with you know hundreds or even thousands of people as as you know a sprinkling of of the people of color at those conferences um, change I change the conversations which makes people uncomfortable at times I my I, just my very presence so I, I you to make your way up in a professional world. Like you, you, and to just make your way around in the world, like you get trained at disarming people. Like, you know, um, I, one of the one of the examples I used was wearing wearing a protective mask, like wearing the PPE masks um, uh, that are for a lot of people um, they feel like protection. Like like you know, you feel like you're walking in some place and you're protecting yourself from germs. But I felt exposed putting that mask on, and I felt like I lost. A huge part of my protection, because part of my protection and disarming is this uh, reflex smile to let people know that, like, I'm a kind black man. I'm like, a, I'm a safe black man. And so I, I feel like that that that's a symbol of how I showed up for a long time in my professional world, um, just keeping people safe from my blackness um, and keeping people protected from it. Um, just not letting the inconvenient truth that I'm black uh, come up too often. Uh, so, so in speaking to first to my colleagues, uh, well, actually first to, to social media and then to my colleagues and, and getting the response that I've gotten um, and, and having, having the encouragement to speak more, um, that gave me uh, the initial sort of boost of courage that I needed to continue to speak up on something that's super important to me. Um, and so there's been this flood of energy to continue to talk about this. Um, I feel like I'm almost on like a mini sabbatical <laughs> from, from work. I'm continuing Ooh. to work. And, and I've found, I've found um, the time and energy somehow to, I think, continue to show up as the husband I hope to be, father I hope to be, um, the CEO that I hope to be at work, um, but also found the time to really create this project in, in a way that's meaningful and I'm really we're, we're, we're really starting to, to drive deeper at, at what it can be the vision for it has grown and like I'm, I just I found I found the energy 
um, to do this, but, but more importantly, I just found the freedom to let my voice be felt on this topic, and that's, that's trickled, um, rippled, really. It's rippled into, into other a- aspects of my life. So I, I feel like my voice has just gotten stronger and clearer and louder in every facet of my life by just feeling free enough to, to bring my full humanity to first work and then and then publicly like I'm just I'm showing up unafraid and this is this is what comes up like and it's come up as I talk about this um, uh, on my on my social media on my professional social media the the response has been good professionally <laughs> like pe- people wow. like so other professionals from our industry have been patting me on the back and encouraging me to speak out other uh, other people who, who who potentially would want to work with us are seeing my my full humanity on display now. And so I think they have a full like 360 degree picture of who I am as a person that that actually um, is something that shows integrity. Uh, you know, and it, it gives you a better glimpse of someone's integrity when you can see and feel who they are as a person. It's like, okay, this is this is what's in this person's heart. This is what this person's driving toward. I feel like I I know and can better connect with this person. I trust this person more. Um, so that that's that that's that, that's what I felt um, the response being, and so it's been emboldening. Like uh, it was it was uh, it was a hope and a prayer to find this boldness. I didn't know this would be how I how I rediscovered um, what was what was underneath there. Um, but this this has been that. Um, so what you're seeing on my social media is just um, what what comes up, and that and I I just happen to have now the courage to talk about what comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to ask, you know, you have been, as you said, emboldened and then the support has been the outpouring of support from the humans around you has been great. But I have to ask about about a little snippet from the uh, that initial uh, 11 minute or so video that's on the the Just Listen Project website. And it, in talking about the courage you had at that town hall meeting or the check in meeting at your firm, um, the courage you had to say more. And you said, and it, I, if I heard you correctly, you said the spirits that were pushing me. Can you say more about what you meant by that? Keeping in mind this one, this is a very spiritual audience. So <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, I no, I, it I, so I, 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 it would not have been an integrity with myself um, I, or with, I felt, and I think this is true of many people, I felt um, George Floyd watching that video. I, 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 mm. I, could, I could smell him. I could feel him. I could see him. Like my, my human gut was activated. I was watching a loved one have their life taken, and, and I was hearing a loved one cry out. Um, so so I, I, was, I, was there, I was there with him. I was also there with with those bystanders who were helpless uh, because the protection of the police were around the murderer rather than helping the bystanders stop the murder. So I I, I, I was like empathy is too weak of a word. Like I I was there, I I, I was there spiritually. I felt it, um, and then the flood of previous incidents started to come in. So I, I, I started to feel uh, Breonna Taylor's pain and, and her family's pain. I started to feel uh, Ahmaud Aubrey's steps. And then, I, you know, it, it, it brings up all sorts of stuff. You know, my, my, my mom's 
life of service was then there with me. You know, I, I started to feel all these uh, people. You know, John Lewis is obviously top of mind right now as a civil rights leader who's literally been beaten and abused and, and, and gave, given his life. He, he gave his life for this. I couldn't not. I, like all of that, like the weight of all of that uh, was, was on me that, that day when I had, I had no desire to speak up. That there, was, there was a nugget in me who, who wanted something to be said, but I didn't want to be the sayer. <laughs> like I, I, didn't, I had no desire to speak up. I was pushed. So I was, I was, I was pushed because it, I would have been disgusted um, not to say anything, and I would have been haunted. I, 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 I know I would have been haunted. So I, 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 and I, and I, I think a lot of people have felt those spirits. I, I think these, these spirits are, are with a lot of people. For, for whatever reason, there was an energetic transfer from, from George Floyd to our public consciousness and our hearts and our minds that we can't undo now. And, and, and he opened that up, and now that, that empathy, that, that, that spiritual opening, that feeling – um, has come in for a lot of prior incidents, and it'll be here for, for future incidents. And, and, and the goal of, of this project, the, the reason why I spoke up and the goal of this project is to make sure that that, that channel stays open, like just feeling. I, I, so so I, I, I said earlier, I think racism is absolutely a solvable problem, I, I, but, but a problem this big and this complex, I think of solving in lifetimes, not not months or years or, 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 or even decades, but lifetimes. And I think if we, are, our current generations, get to a place where we are spiritually feeling this problem, so, so first to the gut, then to the heart, then to the mind, and this, this problem is walking around with us um, in a very nuanced way and in a very personal way, uh, not just existing outside of us in institutions, I think our children will figure it out. Like I, I think, I, I think our, if we do, if we do that, if we let our our guts um, um, feel this problem, and, and and we let our hearts hold this problem, I think our children's heads will figure it out. So I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily dying to have, you know, allyship in the form of of white heads and hands jumping into this problem before their their guts and their hearts feel it. I think I would, if I had to choose, I would rather have the gut right now, like people's gut reaction that they had to that George Floyd video be the same gut reaction they have to microaggressions because they understand what that feels like, same gut reaction they have to economic inequality because they've internalized kind of what it feels like to be at the other end of that, and then to have that gut reaction, like hold safe and, and healthy space in their hearts so that when they're having conversations with their children, th those conversations are informed by that gut and heart. I don't if, – if that happens, you know – like the 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 actual kind of hand work, the 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 roll up your sleeves advocacy for me is, is icing on the cake, uh, because I don't expect that work to solve this problem in this lifetime. I just I, I just don't. So so for me, like the, like that spiritual um, urging and pushing that 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 gut level kind of human connection that 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 I felt, um, and then and and then it kind of opened up would not let me not talk. Um, and, yeah. and I think there's a lot of other people who, who feel the same way and who are at a place where they haven't been able to sit on the sidelines in the same way they have in the past because they're being pushed by their humanity to do more. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and I, I not to switch gears here, but I had a question. In of course, um, for folks out there, if you're just joining us, um, I'm speaking today with Toussaint Bailey, um, who is the founder of the Just Listen Project. Um, the website is thejustlistenproject.com. Um, newly launched, so uh, the main thing to see there would be the homepage video, um, which is just about ten or eleven minutes, um, and I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, and then, of course, uh, subscribing to the channel on YouTube, the Just Listening Project. Um, and you can see and hear some of Toussaint, Toussaint's personal experiences that I we won't have time for today, although I am hoping you will come back, Toussaint, to continue this conversation. Um, but delighted. in terms... Oh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah, so in terms of um, particularly what you were speaking to, your first conversation, um, the long conversation was with Doug Lurch, who is, um, you are on the board of Seeds of Awareness, the um, mindfulness-based, um, oh, I'm going to have to look at my notes, sorry, because I don't want to say this wrong, but yes, so a mindfulness-based counseling. They schools, and then they also have a, a holistic counseling center for communities, but their their main focus is bringing mindfulness and count, mindfulness, mindfulness informed or mindful informed counseling into schools. Okay. Yes. So in this conversation you had with Doug Lurch, who you are on the board of Seeds of Awareness and, and he is behind Seeds of Awareness, you talked a bit about your present burden of racism and some of the, and how that shifted. I, I was in hearing you speak when you were an attorney um, and you know, you're showing up to the courthouse and you're being shuffled into the defendant's line because they assume you are a criminal or you're asked to show your bar card because you're showing up at the council table and they don't believe you or the bailiff is, is frightened by you. And these experiences, um, I don't mean to, when I say those, when Toussaint shares these, I am, um, I hope I am not doing them an injustice by sharing those quickly because if when you hear Toussaint share them, it is, it is, um, it is very powerful. Um, but to my question is, in looking at your present experiences, um, have you heard of spoon theory? I have not. No. But yeah, it's, it's a, there's really it's not a big thing, but it was I learned about it from one of my mentors. And um, just to give you, I promise I will land this plane. But to preface this, spoon theory was a, a woman who has a um, a chronic illness, um, I believe lupus, and uh, she has a blog, and she she told a story about a friend was asking her, "What is it like to live with lupus?" And they were at a restaurant; it wasn't very crowded, and so the woman with lupus, I think her name is Christine Misriandino. So Christine goes and collects all these spoons from nearby tables and holds them like a bouquet in her fist and said, okay, so if you are a, a healthy human, you start your day with this bouquet of spoons and picture each spoon being used as a unit of energy. So you take a shower, there's a spoon, you go to work, there's a spoon. And then by the end of the day, you've got a few spoons left to, you know, have time with your kids, go to the movies with your beloved, whatever. When you have lupus, you start the day with about one or two spoons. You better use them wisely. Um, and as I was listening to your experiences, I had the question of, you know, if you had to say how many spoons you are using on a daily basis to fit in, to make people more comfortable, to suppress your boldness or your blackness, to, to smile in the face of someone asking for your bar card, all of these things you talk about how much of your energy, your spoons, is being used on a daily basis, would you say, around that? Oh, gosh, that is such a good question and such a good analogy. Um, I mean, it's, 
it, it, it's hard to it's hard to even quantify because it it shows up um, like you it, you don't bring those spoons you don't even you don't so so it's not that you're showing up with them and then you're using them like so so some of them yes I'm using to kind of uh, like disarm people and and and, and make people comfortable but you at some point like you you learn to not even show up uh, so 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 a, like you know you, you you convince yourself that you don't belong in certain places so i had, when i was when i was uh when it was suggested by me uh, by a professor in in undergrad that i should go to law school i laughed um and and she had just watched me do this uh business ethics debate and she was she had been a, a, a very successful lawyer, um, and she saw and my, my grades were were, were certainly uh, at a level that I, I could have gone to law school. But it was so beyond my like my my belief in, in my in what I what I was capable of and what I had seen uh, growing up that I could it was I, I couldn't believe it was true. It wasn't until my wife actually decided to go and take the LSAT and I started to look at the law school admissions test and realized like, oh I can do this test. Like I, yeah, so, so maybe I don't think I could be a lawyer, but I like this test I can do. This so, so that was that's literally how I started um, thinking that it was possible for me to become a lawyer because when I was told I could, I didn't think it was possible. So a, a lot of those spoons that you're talking about, we just sell, like you get trained uh, away from even trying to show up. And then when you show up, there is, yes, a, a tremendous amount of energy that goes into keeping people safe in their bubbles. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's, a, it's a survival mechanism and it also, yeah, so that, that's, I, I could, I could go on and I don't want to take the rest of the time, but yeah, I, I, Fifty percent would be would be generous on on, on the low side. I, I, I there's quite a bit wow. that that goes into like showing up as safe enough and navigating kind of the social um, the the social aspects of showing up black. And this is me speaking as as a as a black lawyer in mostly white settings, um, and then a black uh, professional in, in a in a very white industry. Um, yeah. at a mostly white firm. So, yeah, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I thought I cut you off. Um, yeah. And we are, gosh, I can't believe it. We've got like less than a minute left. Um, so I just want to make sure for everyone out there listening, I've been speaking with Toussaint Bailey, the founder of the Just Listen Project, which endeavors to heal racism by feeling into the personal experiences of unheard black colleagues and friends. Uh, the website to go to, to check out one of the videos and get on the mailing list is thejustlistenproject.com. You can also find the project on YouTube, which is where all the videos will be released over time as, as the work can work continues. Um, so Toussaint, thank you so much for being here today. We have about 30 seconds left. Is there any final message you'd like to leave with our listeners before we wrap up? Yes, I, so, so I would encourage people to go to the website and, and give your email addresses because it, it will, the, it, it's a start at the website, but it'll be very generous. So we're gonna help um, folks not only uh, have these conversations, so preparing a set of, of sort of guidelines to help listeners in these conversations, but also helping people invite these conversations. And then we're preparing yeah. some materials to help sharers show up uh, with, with uh, kind of vulnerability and having their trauma and pain show up as trauma and pain um, and, and kind of daring to trust in these conversations. So please do uh, give your email address, 
don't be uh, discouraged by the, the paltry amount of information there now. It's just a video, uh, but much more to come. Um, we're looking to, to assist uh, and promote this conversation. So please yes. uh, do sign up there. Yes, I'm signed up. So we'll continue this conversation. Thanks so much for being here, Toussaint. Thank you so much to all those out there who are listening with open hearts and following that gut. Um, Benny, thanks for running the board. You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. See you next week.